All right, well, we're going to move into our second presentation for tonight, which is Revelation's End Time People. And before we get into God's word again, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for this day, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with us now as we open your word once more. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible would be here with us and guide us. Bless our study tonight, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is told of a young man in ancient Greece who wanted to find the truth. And so he approached an old man who was considered to be the wisest man in that city. The young man asked the old man, he said, Wise sir, please tell me, how can I find the truth? Can you lead me to it? And the wise, the wise old man got up and he began walking. And the young man followed him. And they walked through the streets and they walked all the way to the seashore. And the man kept walking into the water. And when they were about a uh, waist deep, the old man told the young man to put his hands upon his head. And the old man ended up dunking the young man's face in the water. (laughs) He did this three times, and the young man came up gasping for air. And by the third time, the young man was screaming, all I wanted was to find the truth. And the wise man responded, he said, when you desire truth, As much as you wanted this breath of air, you will find it. There's some wisdom that we can glean from this old Greek wise man. It's not hard to find the truth, friends. We have more access to God's word than ever before. Amen? We got it on our, uh, we got paper copies. We got it on our tablets. We got it on our phones. We got it on our computers. It's amazing the kind of access that we have to God's word. So it's not hard to find the truth. It's often that our hearts are not really that anxious to know the truth. It's not anxious to practice the truth, especially if those truths call for us to have a change in our lifestyle. But God is not holding truth back from us, friends. In fact, God said this to his people in Jeremiah 29, verse 13. He said, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me, how? With all your hearts. Friends, this is a promise that you and I can claim. But the problem is, is that many people are searching in all the wrong places. They're searching for happiness. In restless boredom, people seek to fill the void in their lives. They seek, it, seek to fill it with fame or fortune, with drugs, alcohol, or worldly possessions, only to discover that those things do not give them lasting satisfaction. And sooner or later, the haunting question of an ancient prophet will echo from the past. The question, why do you spend money for what is not bread and and your wages for what does not satisfy? Isaiah 55, 2. Jesus also understood the, uh, the temporary satisfaction of possessing things. And Jesus said this. He said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Is that something that we need to hear in the 21st century? Absolutely, friends. Oftentimes we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, but Jesus tells us right there that life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess. Materialism does not truly satisfy the void in our lives. Only Jesus can. 
True satisfaction and contentment can come from only having a relationship with Christ, our Creator God. And we can deepen that relationship with God by spending time with Him in prayer and in Bible study and fellowshipping with other believers and also in witnessing. We can also fellowship with other believers at church, and that can be a blessing to our spiritual lives. But then the question comes up, well, what church should I fellowship at? Every church claims to have a special message for everyone, but many churches are following the teachings, but many, te- many churches aren't following the teachings of the Bible. So we want to answer the question tonight, does God call a people on earth his end-time church? As you look at history, God has always had a people proclaiming his truth to each generation. In the days before the flood, God chose a man by the name of Noah to stand for him. The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. He preached for 120 years and gave them a present truth message, and that was to get on the ark, get on the ark of safety. Yet the majority rejected God's call through Noah. But God still had a few faithful people, his family, that got on the ark with him. They were his church in those days. There was a call to step out from the majority. There was a call to step out from the popular masses. There was a call to get into the ark. And today there is a call to obey God. And a call to get into God's ark of safety in these last days, which is his church. In the Old Testament, God called Abraham out of the popular majority. Genesis chapter 26, verse 2, the Bible says, Then the the Lord appeared to him, that is Abram, and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. So God called Abraham out of the popular culture to follow him completely, to follow him 100%. And notice what Abraham did. The Bible says in Genesis 26, 5, God said, Abraham obeyed my voice. Man, I hope that God can say that of each and every one of us. Amen. That God obeyed, that we obeyed his voice, kept his charge, his commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Abraham was faithful to God. And he desired to do the things that pleased God. And not only did Abraham follow God's commandments, but God also raised up a man by the name of Moses to lead his people, to be faithful to him and to keep his commandments. And in the days of ancient Israel, God called out a faithful, obedient group. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said this. He wrote, Therefore, you should love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments. How often? Always. God has always had a people who keep his commandments. And in the days of Noah, and in the days of Noah a people loved God. They kept his commandments and they got into the ark. In the days of Abraham, there was a people that loved God. And they stepped out from the majority. They stepped out from the masses and they kept God's commandments. And in the days of ancient Israel, a people loved God and they kept his commandments. God called them his chosen people. He called them his special people. In the days of the New Testament, God also had a special people. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the apostles preached powerfully all throughout the Roman Empire. And thousands stepped forward and became a part of God's special people. They loved Jesus and they kept God's commandments. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter wrote this. He said, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, his own special people. We see that in the days of Peter and the early church that God indeed had a special people. The verse continues, it says, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we see that God was calling people out of darkness into his marvelous light, from error into the truth, from commandment breaking to commandment keeping. And throughout the centuries, God has had men and women that have been faithful to him, and they have been called his church. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul gives a definition of what the church is. He said, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the church, is, uh, the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the custodian of truth. It needs to be faithful to God's word. And you find the truth in the Bible. Thus, God's end-time people should be a people that follow this book. Amen? We should follow it closely. Let's look at the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus prayed, he said, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Christ wanted his church to be one, united under truth, because you cannot have true unity on anything else but the truth. Amen? Just four verses earlier, Jesus prayed, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. There cannot be true unity in the church when people abandon and compromise the truth. And currently in Christianity, there is a big ecumenical movement that is taking place calling Christians to unite everywhere, to drop doctrine and to just focus on Jesus. But Jesus taught doctrine, amen? He taught that the dead are sleeping. <laughs> you know, he talked about the resurrections. He talked about his soon coming. These are doctrines. These are teachings that are important. So the big mistake is that they are dropping doctrine in order to achieve a false unity. But unity can only come when we unite in the truth of God's word. Jesus told us in John chapter 8, verse 32, that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? It will make you free. Friends, truth can be known. Truth is not just something out there that is impossible to, to know. God has revealed truth to us in his word, and the truth can be known. It can set us free. And the good news is, is that God is not trying to hide the truth. He's trying to reveal the truth. He sent the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, the Bible says. But if we come locked in our own opinions, we will not be able to understand Bible truth. But if we come to God with an open mind and an honest heart, God will be able to reveal truth to us. His desire has been that there should be no schism in his body. And there would have been no schism. There would have been no division had the church followed the teachings of the Bible. But Paul said that apostasy would come and with it, division. Acts 20, 28 and 30 says this, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which, it, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also among, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. 
So here the Bible predicted that in the early days of Christianity that there would be a departure from the teachings of God's word. The book of Revelation describes God's end time people as we've looked at. People that will cling to the truth at any cost. Revelation chapter 12 describes God's faithful people throughout the ages as well as Satan's vicious attacks in four distinct episodes that we're going to take a look at here tonight, found in Revelation chapter 12. It also reveals to us, without a shadow of a doubt, the identifying characteristics of God's end-time people. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. So here, Revelation 12 begins by describing a pure woman. And uh, we saw in our last presentation what a woman in Bible prophecy represents. It represents the church. It represents the people of God. Uh, we saw Jeremiah chapter uh, 6, verse 2 said, I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman. And we asked the question, well, who is Zion? Well, we compared scripture with scripture, and we saw in Isaiah 51, 16, that God said, say to Zion, you are my people. And as we see from these texts that God used a virtuous woman to represent his people in the Bible and especially in prophecy. The Apostle Paul uses the same terminology we looked at 2 Corinthians 11:2, where he said, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may pre present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So here the Apostle Paul presents the church as Christ's bride. So this woman in Revelation chapter 12 represents God's special people in different time periods of earth's history. Then in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, episode 1 begins. It begins with the battle of good and evil. We've looked at this uh, extensively in one of our previous presentations about this great controversy that's going on. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So we see that Satan rebelled against God in heaven. He rebelled against the government of God. He said that God was not fair, God was not loving, and that his way, and that, that Satan's way would be the better way. But we see in this episode that Christ wins and Satan loses. Friends, Satan is a loser. You can leave here tonight remembering that. Satan is a loser. He is a defeated foe. And so Satan and his angels were cast out of heaven. And the reason that we have all the wars that we see on this earth is because there was first a war that took place in heaven. That is the war behind all wars. Then in Revelation chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, it describes what happens in, in episode 2. It says, And the dragon, who would that be? That would be the devil working through pagan Rome, stood before the woman, that is, the people of God, the woman, who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So who was this child? It's Jesus. Now, did Satan try to destroy Jesus when he was born? Yes, he did. He sure did. He inspired King Herod to pass a decree that they should kill all the, the babies two years and under. But God led Joseph and Mary to leave that place and to go down to Egypt, to flee there. And God preserved them there. 
Years later, Christ was there in the wilderness. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness after his baptism, and he was tempted by Satan, who appeared to him as an angel of light. But once again, Satan failed. Then when Jesus was on the cross, Satan tried to destroy him. He, he, he tempted him to try and come down from the cross and save yourself. But Christ died for you and me. Amen? And he rose again victorious. Revelation chapter 12, verse 5 describes this. It says, And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. After his mission of salvation was accomplished, Jesus ascended to heaven. And we saw a couple weekends ago that this took place after his encounter with Mary on Sunday morning, right? Because he had said, uh, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. So we've seen here in episode 2 of Revelation chapter 12 that Satan tries to destroy Jesus, but once again, Christ wins and Satan loses. In, in episode 3, Satan turns his wrath on the woman, the church, the true followers of Christ, and all but one of the apostles died a martyr's death. Then the church and state united in the days of Constantine. And it remained united throughout the Dark Ages. And for a while, the church enjoyed uh, the, the state's favor and unusual popularity. But this time was a time of compromise, as pagans were coming to the church at a very rapid pace. One historian described this by saying, the new Christians were, as far as, as thinking and habits went, the same old pagans. They weren't any different. They were the same old pagans, just in the church. Their surge into the churches did not wipe out paganism. On the contrary, hordes of baptized pagans meant that paganism had diluted the moral energies of organized Christianity to the point of impotence. That's from the Centuries of Christianity, a Concise History, page 58. However, we have seen that many Christians remained faithful to God during this time period and protested the changes uh, that crept into the Christian church. They refused to compromise their beliefs because they believed that their, their beliefs were based on the teachings of Scripture, and many were persecuted for their stand. And soon the Roman emperors issued edicts, laws, making it a crime to reject the teachings of the state church, punishable by death. Heresy was a crime punishable by death. And they thought that they were actually doing you and God a favor by killing you if you had a heretical belief. Unbelievable, friends. The History of the Popes, Volume 2, page 334, describes the terrible persecution that took place. It said, Great numbers were driven from their habitations with their wives and children, stripped and naked. Many of them were inhumanely massacred. That's the sad history, but true history of what happened during the Dark Ages. It was an awful time. Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, then describes what happens next to God's people. The Bible says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God. That the woman, that the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. When Satan attempted to destroy the church in the Dark Ages, the woman, the church, fled into the wilderness. Verse 14 describes this event. It says, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished from the presence of the serpent. 
So the true church went into hiding, but God prepared and God prepared a place for her there. So during the dark ages, the large church was the popular church and it reigned. It had full control of power and it cast truth to the ground, as the book of Daniel says. And while Christ's woman, the true church, was hiding in the wilderness. So how long would the church be hiding in the wilderness? Well, notice that the Bible says that it was for 1,260 days. Now remember, in Bible prophecy, one prophetic day equals one literal year. Ezekiel 4 verse 6 says, I have given you a day for each year. Numbers 14 34 says, I have appointed a day for a year. So the true church is in the wilderness for 1,260 years. And as we've studied before in previous lectures, that the Dark Ages began in AD 538 and it ended in 1798. Now the question may be asked, well, why did the 1260 years begin in AD 538? Well, in AD 538, the Roman Emperor Justinian gave the Pope of Rome both religious and civil authority. Also in that year, the last of the tribes that were battling against uh, Papal Rome were defeated. So during much of this time, the papacy had more power than the kings of Europe themselves. You see here in the picture that the Pope is actually crowning one of the kings of Europe. That's how much power they had. They could take kings down and they could uh, put new kings in place. But at this time, God's true church was in the wilderness. At times, they had to hide in desolate mountain villages, places uh, people groups like the Waldensians, we talked about them before, as well as the Albigenses, they hid in the Alps there in, in France. Their faithful men and women of God clung to the truths of God's word. Then during the latter part of the 1260 years, God raised up the Protestant reformers. People like John Huss, Martin Luther, Tyndale, Calvin, and John Wesley. They weren't perfect people. They didn't have it all together, friends, but God used them to restore truth little by little. They stood up against many of the errors of the popular church. And friends, that would have been hard to do when the whole world is teaching and believing the same thing and you stand up and say, that's not what the Bible says. That's not an easy thing to do. So God raised these men up and gave them courage to take a stand for him. But unfortunately, many of them were persecuted and some were even killed for their faith. Revelation 12, 16 has good news, though. It helps us to know that the persecution would not last forever. It says that the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Now, in previous presentations, we saw that Revelation 17, 5 that water or seas represent people or a highly populated area of the world. Now, if seas represent a populated area of the world, then the earth would represent a relatively unpopulated area of the world. And two weekends ago, we saw that this lamb-like beast of Revelation 13 was, represents the United States. And if you didn't get to watch that presentation or hear it, I would encourage you to go back and, and watch it. It's up on YouTube and we have the videos out there. So America would rise from, it would come up from the earth, from a relatively unpopulated area of the earth. And as a young nation with no monarchy, it helped God's people. America was, uh, was a beacon of freedom for those, those uh, 
pilgrims that were coming here. Millions of Protestants were fleeing the persecution that they faced there in Europe. And they came here seeking religious freedom. And I praise God, friends, for the freedom that we still have in this country. Amen? We still have the ability to gather together like this and to study God's word. And we hope and pray that that freedom will last as long as possible, that as many as possible might hear God's word. The Bible says, So the earth helped the woman. And God's people were safe from the dragon who was working through the papacy of the Dark Ages. So in episode 3 here in Revelation 12, we've seen that Satan tried to destroy Christ's pure woman, the church. But the good news, friends, is that once again, Christ wins and Satan loses. The wilderness period ended in 1798 with the capture of the Pope by Napoleon's general Berthier. Now, here's where the prophecy becomes even more fascinating. Sometime after 1798, God would raise up his end-time people. The book of Revelation describes the identifying characteristics of God's last-day people in these words. Revelation 12:17 says, And the dragon was wroth. Now, that word means angry. The dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, that is, those that are left, the remnant, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now notice the remnant of her seed, that is the rest of the offspring of the woman. It is God's remnant end time people. They're described with two main characteristics. Number one, they keep the commandments of God. And two, they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now some may think, well, don't all, uh, all Christian churches teach that we should keep the commandments? Well, unfortunately, as we have seen, they don't. They don't all teach They teach that nine of the commandments are important or eight of the commandments, but there's very few churches that teach that all ten commandments still apply. Many churches today teach their members in one way or another to disobey God's law. For example, some churches teach that it's okay for people to bow down to images or to pray to the saints, but we see in the Ten Commandments that God forbids such practices. And sadly, we have seen that most churches have lost sight of the fourth commandment, the Bible Sabbath, the memorial of God's creative power. They've said that that commandment, oh, that one, it just doesn't apply. Or that it applies to the first day of the week. But the fourth commandment doesn't say remember the first day. It says remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you should do no work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So God's last day church will keep all ten of the commandments, including the Bible Sabbath, because it's the day that God especially blessed. It's the day that he sanctified, or he made it holy. He didn't make all the days holy. He made one day holy. And it's the day that God rested from all of his work. God's last day church will follow the example of Jesus. They will keep the commandments not to earn their salvation, not because they're trying to work their way to heaven, but because they love Jesus and they want to do the things that please him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Friends, love always leads us to obedience. And God's end-time church will be a grace-filled church. 
They are a group of people who love Jesus and, and by God's grace, they seek to love others with the love that Christ has given them. They are people who have the new covenant experience. Check out what Hebrews says about the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. So in the new covenant, God writes his law in our hearts and in our minds so that we love to do God's will. Friends, isn't that beautiful? We want to be able to do the things that please him, and God wants to write his law on our hearts. God's end time people will know that the Ten Commandments are a blessing and not a curse. However, God's last day people are not super saints. They are often weak. They falter. They make mistakes. Often they will have to weep at the feet of Jesus in confession and repentance. But, but they are committed to Christ. And they believe that God has raised up a special end time people. So God's end time remnant people will have two characteristics. They will keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, what is the testimony of Jesus in Revelation 12, 17? Well, anytime you have a question about any particular verse in the Bible, friends, it's best to look in the context of the passage. Look in the context of that author, and if the author doesn't say anything, then broaden your scope to the rest of Scripture. And look how the author, uh, that is John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes in Revelation 19.10, John tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here the Bible talks about the gift of prophecy or the spirit of prophecy being in God's last day church. And tomorrow morning we'll talk more about that and how you can tell the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. Paul says that the church that is waiting for the coming of Jesus will come short in how many gifts? No gifts. It will come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all the gifts of the Spirit will be manifest in God's end-time church. We will see miraculous healings from time to time if God so chooses to heal. He will bless his church with unusual prophetic insights. God's church will be a Spirit-filled church that impacts the world for Christ. Revelation chapter 14 describes this last day movement and its message. Let's look at it one more time as we've gone to Revelation 14 a lot, but this is so crucial. Revelation 14, 6 and 7 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. To preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every oh, tribe, tongue, and people. So friends, will God's end time church be a little non-denominational church? No, it will not. It will be a worldwide church with a worldwide message that is going to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Friends, how do we give glory to God? Well, we talked about it in one of our presentations already, but to glorify God means that we seek to honor him with how we live our lives, both in our diet and in our lifestyle. We can glorify God. Whatever your hand finds to do. The Bible says here, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, no matter what it is, do all to the glory of God. 
And 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify, your, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Friends, we should seek to glorify God in all that we do because we love Jesus. We love him with all of our hearts. And because the hour of his judgment has come, the Bible says. The angel flying in the midst of heaven represents a church. It represents a movement, a message calling people to be accountable to God for their actions. In an age of irresponsibility, God is calling his people to moral responsibility. He's calling for obedience. This is a special time in earth's history in which we live. It's not business as usual. No more sinful pleasures as usual. We need to forsake sin and turn to Jesus. The hour of his judgment has come. And the three angels' messages, it continues on. It says in verse 7, And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. In an age of evolution, God calls his people back to the worship of him as creator. And he set aside a special day for us to worship him on, especially, and that is the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is a part of God's last day message here in Revelation chapter 14. God's last day message continues in Revelation 14, 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now in prophecy, wine represents false doctrine. And Babylon, Babylon as we saw in our earlier presentation, symbolizes a, a system of religious confusion. But God calls, is calling for people to come out of spiritual confusion and to know and follow his truth. His end time, people will restore truths that have long been lost sight of. Truths that were cast to the ground during the dark ages. And friends, we must cling to the truth that God reveals to us. Amen? And God will continue to reveal more truth to us. Again, this message to come out of Babylon is given in Revelation 18, verse 4. We looked at this earlier. It says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Does God have people in other churches? Absolutely. He has, he's calling them to greater faithfulness. He's calling them to step out and to be his faithful people. Leave the spiritual confusion, lest you share in her plagues, unless you receive, sorry, unless you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues, the Bible says. So Jesus gently says to his people in all religious denominations, he says, come out of her, my people. So God calls us to not only come out of something, but he calls us to come in to something. He's calling his people to step out of Babylon and step into a worldwide movement, a spirit-filled movement, a Bible-believing movement, a commandment-keeping movement, a Jesus-loving, a people-loving end-time group. Jesus makes a final appeal to the world in these three angels' messages, it's an, and it's an urgent end-time message. The first angel's message is a call to accept Jesus totally, to surrender to him completely as, as your Lord and Savior. The second angel's message is a call out of the religious confusion of so many churches. And the next angel follows with the most urgent appeal in Scripture. Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image 
and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So here is a urgent message about the mark of the beast. It, pre- it presents the final conflict between true and false worship. And God's end time people will choose the seal of God instead of the mark of the beast. The third angel's message regarding the mark of the beast calls all men and women to total commitment to Jesus. God's end time church will meet the identifying characteristics as found in Revelation 12 and 14. Number one, it will recapture the pure love and faith of the disciples. It will teach Bible truths that the apostles taught and believed but were lost sight of during the dark ages. It will be a loving church. John 13, 35 says, by this, all, by this all will know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. God's end time church will also have two characteristics found in Revelation 12, 17. They will keep God's commandments, including the Bible Sabbath, and they will believe in spiritual gifts, including the gift of prophecy. And the Seventh-day Adventist church qualifies on both accounts. It will also be a worldwide mission-driven movement. They will proclaim the three angels' messages to the whole world, to every nation, every kindred, every tongue, and people. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church is in more countries than any other Protestant denomination in the world. Being in over 215 countries out of the 237 countries recognized by the United Nations. Number five, God's end time church will come out of hiding after 1798. As we mentioned, God's church was in the wilderness during the 1260 years, which we saw ended in 1798. And number six, God's end time church will glorify God in their diet and in their lifestyle. It will be a movement that says to fear God and give glory to him. It will encourage people to give up harmful substances and unclean foods that are harmful to their bodies. It will call people to accept God's end time truth. And lastly, God's end time church will have the faith of Jesus. Revelation 14, 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Friends, what kind of faith did Jesus have? He had an unshakable faith. He had an unwavering faith. Jesus relied on his Father for strength to overcome Satan's temptations. And likewise, friends, we must rely upon God to overcome Satan's attacks as well. Friends, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist because I believe that this church fulfills the characteristics of God's end-time church. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist because I haven't found another church that teaches the Bible more closely than the Seventh-day Adventist church. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist because I want to be a part of a worldwide movement that is based on prophecy. I want to be part of a church that teaches that salvation is not by works, but that it's by grace through faith. I want to be a part of a church that uplifts Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of a movement that follows in the footsteps of Bible heroes, people like Abraham, people like Isaac and Jacob, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who kept God's commandments and desired to do his will. I want to be a part of a movement that understands that our bodies are the temple of God, a movement that calls us to glorify God in our bodies because we are physical, mental, and spiritual beings. Because what we put into our body, friends, it affects 
our spiritual lives. It affects our mental capabilities. When we eat a bunch of junk food, it clouds our minds uh, and makes us not be able to focus and to study God's word effectively. God's church is not in the majority in these last days. You can never base truth on a majority vote. Most of the time, the majority has never been right when it comes to understanding Bible truths. God's church is not the most popular church. Truth rarely wins a popularity contest. God's end-time church is not the most spectacular church. God values truth more than he values amazing architecture. God's end-time church does not need the approval of popular religious leaders. It just wants the approval of God. Amen? Truth is truth whether religious leaders accept it or not. But the real issue is not what some religious leader thinks. The real issue is what God's word says. What does Jesus say? Because in, in the judgment, in God's final judgment, the question is not what did your pastor tell you, it's what did Jesus say? And did you follow what Jesus said? Deep within your heart, do you long to follow the truth? Are you searching for a worldwide movement that follows all of God's word? Maybe you've been coming to these meetings and there has been a struggle going on in your mind uh, from truths that you previously believed. And there are new truths that you're learning. But you're convicted about these new truths that you found and you sense that the Holy Spirit is leading you. Friends, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to these messages, uh, to our message this evening, our Ushers will be handing out a decision card here. And I want to just give you an opportunity to respond. You've heard a lot of truths here. We've, we've covered quite a bit of material here in Unlocking Prophecy. And um, I believe that God's word has been clear on some of these core issues in the last days. So I want to uh, share, give you an opportunity to make a decision here today. Uh, the decision card is also there on the screen for those of you that don't have it yet, but we'll go through it together. Our decision for Christ. The Bible says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Friends, you are one of God's sheep. And I know that each one of you have come here because you want to follow the Good Shepherd. And I pray that you will do that. The first box there, it says, I choose to follow the teachings of Jesus as found in the Bible. If that's your desire, you want to follow the teachings of Jesus in the Bible, please check that box. Second box says, out of love for Jesus, I choose to keep all his commandments, including the seventh-day Sabbath. If you see it clearly from scripture, friends, that, that God is asking for that in these last days, that God has a people that keep all ten commandments, and, and you want to be a part of that, check that second box. The third box says, I want to follow Jesus in baptism or rebaptism. Maybe you uh, have never been baptized and you want to follow Jesus and his example of Bible baptism. We're going to be having a, a Bible baptism tomorrow morning, actually, for one of our, one of our girls here at the church. And, um, and that, if that's something that you desire, we can prepare you for that. And the fourth box says, I choose to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth and become a part of the Seventh-day Adventist church. If that's your desire, friends, you've heard the truth uh, that we've been sharing here and you say this I believe that this is God's church. Uh, check that box and we can talk to you more about how you can be, how you can join our church. 
And the fifth box says, I have some questions that I would like to discuss. And that is totally fine, friends. You've been hearing a lot of information, and it is totally understandable to have questions. I have questions about God's Word. We all have questions, but we can study together as students of God's Word. We can study like the Bereans of old in the New Testament, that we can search the Scriptures out for ourselves. So if that's your desire, check that box as well. Friends, Jesus is coming soon. And I believe that he has a worldwide message, a a message that the world needs to hear in these last days. And God is inviting each one of us to make a decision for him. I've never met a person who, who, uh, who said, I wish I would have waited before making my decision for Christ. I've met many people who have said the complete opposite. They've said, I wish I would have responded to the message years ago. I wish I would have responded to Christ years ago. Friends, this is your hour. This is your moment to make a decision for Jesus. Why not bow your heads here tonight with me and surrender to Jesus and say, Lord, wherever you want to lead me, I'm willing to follow. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we've looked at your word tonight. Lord, we've seen that you have an end time remnant church, Lord, a church that keeps the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to follow the truth that you revealed to us. Lord, we've seen from your word that all 10 commandments apply. Lord, not just nine, not eight, but you've asked us to keep them, Lord, because of love for you. And Lord, we love you. We want to follow you, Lord. We are your sheep and you take such good care of us, Lord. How can we respond to that love? Lord, we can respond to it tonight by saying, Lord, continue to guide me, continue to be my good shepherd, continue to lead me in green pastures that I might find rest for our, for our soul, Lord, that we might continue to grow in our walk with you. Lord, we've been learning many truths. Lord, some here may have questions, and Lord, that's okay. We all have questions, but Lord, I pray that, that we would truly search with all of our hearts, Lord, to find answers to these questions. Lord, yes, there are maybe some things that we will never know this side of eternity, Lord, but there are things that you have revealed clearly in your word. Help us to be students of your word. Help us, Lord, to not be content with the traditions of men. Help us to be only content with you and your word. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide us each day, Lord. We surrender our lives into your care tonight. And Lord, I pray for those that have made a decision possibly for baptism tonight. Lord, if there are any here that made that decision, I pray that you would specially bless them, Lord, as they step out in faith to join your remnant church in these last days. Lord, Father, a great work is being done around the world. Lord, many people are hearing the gospel, the everlasting gospel, and they're making decisions to follow you. And we pray, Lord, that that we could could join your work in these last days in helping to hasten your coming, helping to spread the good news far and wide. This is our prayer, Lord. We ask that you bless each one here tonight, Lord, and keep us in your care. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.